Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, founders, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Sadhir, CEO and co-founder of Oro Labs, a procurement platform that's raised $59 million in funding. Sadhir, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks, Brad. Nice to be with you. Not a problem. I'm super excited for this conversation. I'd love to begin with just a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Oro Labs. We are a three-year-old company based in Bay Area. We are a procurement software company, and my background is I'm a software engineer, grew up in India, been living in the Bay Area for the last 25 years. Uh, so I'm really in the tech scene, if you will. Joined a company called Ariba once upon a time in 2010 and ended up being a part of SAP through the acquisition. So big, fell in love with procurement, let's call it, the space that I'm part of now. Finally, after spending eight years, nine years at SAP Ariba, I decided to start my own company. And here we are. Take us back to the early days of Silicon Valley. What was it like back then? Oh, man, 1997, 98, when I moved here, 98 first. This is before LinkedIn. I joined a company first one that was going to be like LinkedIn. That's where I actually met my wife as well. We were really ahead of time, but there was so much. I actually moved from India to New York City. I lived in on the East Coast for a little bit, visiting my cousin who lived in Silicon Valley. I just came here to see her. And the vibe was so amazing. I'm a software engineer. So for me, it smells software, it feels software, you eat software, everything was software. Just going to this university cafe at that time felt like you are on a different planet where it's all about tech, it's all about software. So, of course, naturally, I decided to move here immediately after that. It was a very vibrant culture, what makes Bay Area, Bay Area, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm sure since then, the world has changed substantially, given the internet, Zoom, and all those things, the world has changed substantially. But those days, I feel Bay Area was far more unique than any other place on the face of the earth. Do you think it's still the best place to build a technology startup? It has definitely, it's a hard question to answer now. I think, thankfully, the world has become more flat, if you will. You can really go anywhere and start a company. Talent is what matters. A lot of advancement in cloud technology, AI now, has really made it possible to do innovation anywhere. There is no restriction on it anymore. Now, what makes Bay Area still unique is the culture. And the availability of venture funds makes it still a unique place, I would say. But I wouldn't say that it's not possible to build companies elsewhere. It might be slightly easier in Bay Area. The gap has gone down a little bit, I would say. Another follow-up question for you is, why procurement? What about procurement really drew you in and, and made you say, I, I love procurement. This is it. This is the space I want to build in. I mean, clearly you don't. Until 2010, I didn't know what procurement was until I joined Ariba. All I knew about Ariba was I'd lost lots of money once upon a time in Ariba. <laughs> That's all I knew about Ariba when I joined. But when I looked into it, I realized, hey, this is the business process that spans outside the four walls of a company. And actually, it impacts a whole lot more people than it ever gets credit. Just think about it. Almost every person in marketing has to buy something. Almost every person in R&D has to buy something. Lots of people have to purchase something. Likewise, as big as consumer economy is, B2B economy is quite big too. So all this thing made me feel that, hey, this is a pretty interesting and a fairly big problem definition. And the most important thing was, there's way too much friction still in this problem definition. That means there's room to solve this friction in an amazing way 
to make people's life better and also make companies operate in a much more efficient and a fast way. So I feel it's a great space to solve an unsolved problem still, in my opinion. Let's dive into those problems that you're solving. So at a very high level, what does Oro Labs do? Oro Labs is fundamentally a procurement software. We are a procurement software platform. We call ourselves Smart Procurement Workflow Orchestration Platform. So what are we trying to solve, really? What did I learn in my eight and a half years at Ariba that I could not solve and I say, okay, I'm going to start my own company? What I realized fundamentally was CRM tech, marketing tech, all those are far ahead of procurement tech. And fundamentally, those are considered to be the front office software. They always tend to be, tend to get the funding first. By virtue of which, they are far ahead. As an example, if you talk to anybody in marketing, they will list the number of tools they use in marketing. It will never be one tool. It will always be seven tools, 10 tools, 15 tools. And they all work together in a very, very nice, harmonious way. And people are able to get their job done much faster. Come to procurement, suddenly you're talking about monolith software, one software that can do it all. The reality I realized after eight and a half years is that cannot be true. No one software can do it all. If no one software can do it all, is there a thing that brings it all together and helps you build an ecosystem that can deliver great user experience at the same time, give companies and people choices of software so that they can do the job they're trying to do better, faster, et cetera. So that's the problem I identified. How do we bring procurement tech very close to CRM tech or marketing tech so that people have the flexibility that they need to do the job better? Talk to me about the early days of the company. How long did it take until you started to really feel like, yes, we have a product here and we have a viable business here? When we started the company, we already raised a fairly decent round. We started off of the bigger, given our background, right? We spent eight and a half, nine years working with all kinds of customers when I was at Ariba, SAP Ariba. We worked with every company you can think of very, very closely in my role. So when we started the company, we knew the problem is there. What we had to figure out is how do we educate the market about this new problem we're talking about, which is, hey, in procurement, you can have best of breed. Best of breed is reality. And then if you assume best of breed is reality, you will need a tool like us. So I would say it took us a good almost year and a half, two years. Now we are three years into the journey. It took us a year and a half, two years to get market a little bit educated. And I would still say market is not fully educated. If you ask market, what is a procurement orchestration platform? I have no idea is the rough answer you will get. So we have a little bit more work to do. But at the same time, what we are seeing is we have signed up some of the biggest companies globally. And we are starting to see RFPs coming up in this space. So it tells me the market is getting educated, but still a little bit of ways to go, I would say. So roughly 18 months to two years. What were those early deals like with paying customers? And what did you do? What did you say? And, and how did you make it happen? How did you get customers to trust you and really give you a chance? Two parts of the puzzle. Again, our background helps, to be frank, that, hey, these people really, really care about procure for procurement. I mean, people know me from my background, having spent eight and a half years at SAP Ariba, they know I'm passionate about problem definition called procurement. Solution can be anything, but they know. That's the starting point. Hey, this is the team that really knows procurement. They have spent eight and a half years and they were not happy and they're starting a company. So the first few customers, they always have to take a bet on you as a person. Well, you don't have a product. So when a first customer comes to you, they're really betting more on you than the product. They're betting more on, hey, you will figure out the problem. And we told them the problem. So it, they were betting on, if we have a problem, here is a team that is capable of solving it. And we believe we are a very strong team. It's not just me. I have two more co-founders who are wonderful with me. And we three together form a great team. So I think the first few customers won, were one purely based on the team, I would say, Brett, to answer your question in short. How do you describe your marketing philosophy? 
I tell you one thing. I, I'll start by saying marketing is actually really, really hard. Marketing is a whole lot harder ball game, and even finding good marketing talent is really, really hard because it's so much noise. Everything looks the same. You go to two websites, you can tell me what you remember. I do this in my interview process all the time, and I'll answer your question in a second. I do this in my interview to any marketing people we hire. I show them two random sites in the same space. Generally speaking, I say, "Hey, just spend five minutes on each site, and I'll come back in ten minutes, and then." We'll close the browser and tell me what you remember on each site. It's so shocking that you can't remember anything that you saw on the site, and that's the core problem in marketing. Actually, how do you stand out is really, really difficult in this crowded market. No matter what space you go into, there is more players than you can imagine. But that also validates the market. To be honest, you, if you're the only player, that might be a problem. But in general, there are a lot more players than you can ever imagine. So standing out and being clear about it is clear. So what I've learned is. You need to focus on your ICP in a very, very clear way. You need to focus on your differentiators in a very, very clear way, and believe in what you do. And then hopefully you'll be able to figure out how to communicate your message. Communication is the key, but the most important thing is, hey, what problem are you trying to solve, and for whom? And define it very, very clearly. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B two B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, "I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build." Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io/podcast. Now, back to today's episode. Who is that ICP for you? For us, the ICP we start with a large customer. Uh, we call it an upper mid market to a large enterprise customer who has a problem in procurement, who has gone through a Gen One procurement, and now is trying to say, "Hey, I've implemented all kinds of procurement technologies, but I still have a problem. My user adoption is a big problem. User experience in my company is a big problem. I'm not able to deliver the numbers I promised to my CFO because users are not adopting the platforms I purchased, and my NPS score is very, very low." So those are the people who end up being our champions in any given company. Typically, end up in we focus on large enterprises. As I said, typically life sciences, financial services, manufacturing space. Did you get that ICP right from day one, or what was that discovery process like to really nail that ICP down? No, no, no. We definitely wish we get it right in one shot. You have to iterate. We knew a couple of things were clear, like life sciences was very clear to us that hey, that ICP is good. Because we knew the problem definitions in life sciences space very very well, so that was always clear to us. But the other problem definition, for example, typically when a Bay Area company, a startup starts in a Bay Area, and that's the true for some of our competitors in our space, they focus first and foremost on other software companies to sell into. That's what a lot of companies do in Bay Area, right? Uh, through VC community, you can sell into other software companies. That's the first thing they do. But for us, we say, you know what? Our focus point is to go after customers for whom procurement is a big enough problem. It's a very, very big problem for customers. It's not a small problem for them, and that tells us that hey, we should be going into life sciences. We should be going into financial services because compliance is a very big hassle for financial services. Manufacturing, the top line is directly impacted by procurement. So that's how we really iterated on it. But to say that hey, of course there was a temptation to why don't we try to sell it to other software companies? And we did, by the way. We have some amazing software companies as our customers too, by the way. But when we narrowed down our ICP to focus on. We feel the place where we are differentiated. I would say we do great job on software companies, by the way. But where we differentiate the most probably is in life sciences, financial services, and manufacturing. When it comes to your market category, is it what you mentioned there with workflow orchestration, or how do you define the market category that you're in? 
Yeah, I mean, we are definitely what we are not. Let's start with that. We are not your classic source to pay platform like Ariba or Coupa. We are not that clearly because we are trying to be a layer on top of it. Now, some mid-sized companies can use us as their core procurement platform because those companies don't actually need a source to pay platform. They need a workflow tool, actually speaking. Now, in this whole equation, it's hard to explain what's the difference between a source to pay platform and a workflow orchestration platform, procurement workflow. You can't tell the difference. Then source to pay seems to be an easy way of describing the problem definition. So we are trying to make a very kind of a nuanced argument so that the, your point is still valid. What category does this fit into then? I believe there will be a new category in procurement which will focus on fundamentally procurement orchestration layer, which is the layer on top of S2P and other procurement tools. Because one of the mistakes we made at Ariba, I feel, at least my personal mistake, I would say, I'm not saying company mistake, my personal mistake. I assume source to pay is the only business process that impacts procurement in a given company. As it turns out, procurement are far more complex business processes in a given company that spans outside of a classic source to pay. So I believe there will be a new category for this. And some analysts like even Gartner has started to write about it. Spend Matters is starting to write about it. So you will see this new category creation, which is what's going on. And I believe it will be a new category by next year or following year. And just to be clear there, what's the name of that category or what do you envision the name will be? I think it will end up being procurement intake and orchestration platform, uh, orchestration. When it comes to analysts, are you proactively working with them to really shape and define this new category? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this, uh, some of these analysts have amazing background and great stuff. Yeah, so yeah, we work with them very actively. A lot of them, actually, we try to get their feedback with their background and with their market awareness. So yeah, we work actively with them and they can be a great ambassador to also create the category for us. So yeah, we work very actively with them. I probably spend maybe four to five hours, maybe more than that, a month with analysts. What have you learned about that process of analyst relations and working with them? Any takeaways that you can share with founders listening in? I mean, analyst relationship, you have to invest first and foremost. I say this, I mean, especially if you're an enterprise software, especially large enterprise software, you have to invest. But you need to know which analyst you want to spend time with. And so you need to know, you need to do your homework. So you really should know what analyst is working on and what their thesis are, what they are focusing on. Only then you'll have a meaningful conversation. Just talking to somebody because they happen to be analysts at one of the most reputed analyst firm uh, doesn't make that person to be the right person. So there is still a right person to talk to. That's what I learned. And timing is everything, as they say. But at the same time, educating them is really a hard job. So you'll have to put in hours, be ready to have numerous conversations, do your homework, spend the time with the analysts. Only then it's going to go. You have to really do your homework, though. A lot of people just show up in the analyst meeting. It doesn't work that way. If you have not done your homework on analysts, they will know that you've not done any homework and it does not work. What do you think is the most important decision you've made so far in company history? The most important decision definitely was to create the founding team. Because I think, so my co-founders are Yuan and Alita. Those are two of my co-founders. And I don't think we, I can do the company without them, to be frank. We are together a much, much better team than any of us can be individually. So I feel that is the best decision I've made. And I'm super happy that we are working together as co-founders. Just so we can understand the scale that you're operating at today, are there any numbers that you can share? Yeah, sure. We are a 100-people company now. From a scale perspective, five of the global 100 companies are our customers now. Revenue-wise, we are still not 10 million, but let's say since we're up getting into that territory, we have raised 59, 60 million from venture fund. In that, we are between 59 and 60 million, how much money we have raised. Those are the numbers I'll share, yeah. 
you recently raised a $34 million Series B from founders I've talked to. I know the Series B can be very difficult, especially in this environment. What was that like raising the Series B and, and what did you learn throughout that process? For us, it was preemptive. Uh, we were not looking to raise, to be frank. So we were really, really lucky. So we're just lucky that somebody made us a preemptive offer. It's not something we were trying to do this year. In general, with fundraising, what are some of the lessons that you've learned? Few lessons I've learned. Every investor has a thesis. So you really need to know, understand the investor thesis before spending too many cycles with any one investor. I feel the match is really, really important. I personally think that's the most important thing. You could be talking to a lot of people without making any traction otherwise. So you really need to know which investor you want to work with. And that, again, requires a little bit of homework, quite a bit of homework, I would say. But you need to know which people have the thesis to invest in what you're trying to get done. Because generally speaking, those are the people who will eventually make the make it happen for you. Otherwise, you'll be just burning too many cycles. What would you say has been the number one go-to-market lesson that you've learned so far? You can't win it all, really. You need to know your market. You can't win it all. Market opportunity for enterprise software, as an example, is really big. It's not winner-take-it-all kind of market, at least the space we are in. It's not a winner-take-it-all market. So the market opportunity is big. But that means you also have to define your ICP, your market, very clearly. So the mistakes we made initially was we had not fully agreed on ICP early on. I wish some founders I've seen are even... I know some founders who make the ICP decision very, very early on in the very first year itself. The first six months, nine months, their ICP is completely locked and loaded. And those people can go even faster. So I think the go-to-market strategy-wise, I would say, make your ICP. Second thing I would say is sales team, how you build your sales team, how you move from founder-led sales to actually your sales team leading the effort. It's not an easy transition, actually. So it has to be thought through and you have to execute. And I would say you need to hire the team that fits the bill, not just because there's uh, some sales exec who has been successful in one company is going to work in your company. So you need to know what will work in your company, what will not, because you're trying to build a company with a certain culture and your software has certain intricacies and you're a startup. So there are a lot of parameters that go into it. So hiring the right people is important. But I think before that, you really, I mean, we, we have made mistakes in all directions in those areas to finally know, hey, which are the exact people we want that will help us grow. Final question for you. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the big picture vision that you're building here? Big picture vision for us is we have made procurement so amazing. The people in the company, the funny rules that exist in procurement that you cannot use this supplier and that supplier, those rules are gone. Users have the flexibility to pick the supplier they want to do business with, who does the best, who adds the most value to the business without company taking on any new risk. We have reduced the friction between suppliers, business users, and procurement to get the business done, and people can do business faster. But the bottom line is, I would love to see NPS core of procurement into positive territory as opposed to negative territory, which is what it is typically. Amazing. Love the vision, and I've really loved this conversation. We are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if there's any founders listening in that want to follow along with your journey, where should they go? Please follow us on orolabs.ai. That's our website. Of course, the same is available on LinkedIn, O-R-O-L-A-B-S.ai. It'll be appreciated. Of course, you can ping me directly on LinkedIn as well, Sudhir Bojwani. I'm available on LinkedIn too. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks, Brad. Pleasure talking to you. Oh, 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 o
This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.